Welcome into 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospect podcast. Today, we are going to look at some traits and advanced stats here at PFF that matter. Ones that we look at closely when we're scouting and evaluating offensive players. I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast love evaluating talent, love watching players as we enter the 2022 NFL Draft. So we're going to look at some of those stats and traits that we look at. And then at the back end of the podcast, an interview with new University of Arizona head coach, Jed Fish. He is trying to turn the program around there at the University of Arizona, making some moves there. Jed Fish at the back end of the podcast. Let's get it. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, June 9th, trying to get ahead of the game here. So if anything breaks between now and the 16th, when this podcast does drop, I just want to let you know, we didn't know yet. We did not know yet, but we're excited. Wait, we're excited. Let's, let's predict what could happen. Uh, Jags named Tebow starting tight end. I like that. Jacksonville Jaguars named Tebow. I know you're a big Tim Tebow fan from the tweets that you've sent out and stuff like that. I know you're a big Tim Tebow fan, but we are recording this podcast episode on June 9th. This just will a drop. winner. Just a winner. <laughs> just a winner. <laughs> this will drop here on June 16th. What we really want to do with this one, man, is, is look at when we're evaluating offensive players, and we're going to do the defensive players one as well next week. Um, what we look at, you know, what we look at. I think a lot of people ask us, you know, about the evaluation process and how you get into it and and what, how to start. I think focusing in on the traits and the stats and the things that matter at each position will help, I think, make your process more efficient. I think a lot of people watch full games of players at positions where maybe you could focus more on things and, and segment your, your watching out and that type of stuff. But still, I think this is going to be helpful for those who are looking to get more efficient with their process when they are evaluating talent. Yeah, and these are things that we probably touch on or have touched on before, and we'll touch on you know at times when talking about players, but this is trying to put a kind of one pod together mm -hmm. to encapsulate all of them. So you have one real spot to go to to know how kind of just our take and how our takes are born. Yep, how our takes are born. Should we change the name of the pod? Earth? Should we change the name of the pod to how our takes are born? <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and start with the quarterback position here. And, and you're going to focus a little bit more on you know the traits and the aspects of a quarterback's game that you look for. And I'll kind of bring in some of the stats and the advanced stats that we have here at PFF that we kind of hone in on when we are projecting you know quarterbacks from, the, from college to the NFL. Yes, and so I think the biggest thing you look for, uh, obviously we look for at PFF's accuracy. Uh, that's the starting point of... I think any quarterback, and it's why you know you're super can be super high on Joe Burrow. I think arm strength is very easy to evaluate. Anyone can sort of see a guy throw a football 85 yards and be like, that guy's got a cannon. Um, but I think arm strength's more of a box tick. You got a strong arm, you can hack it in the NFL. You got a weak arm, you got to you got to win other ways. You know, you got to be Joe Burrow mm -hmm. from an actual perspective. But I think accuracy is kind of the thing that separates the ultimately separates quarterbacks at the NFL level like, as the biggest separator. And, and then from there, decision-making. Um, it's why people were – people asked, you know, what's the biggest difference? Because Jordan Love coming out in 2020, Trey Lance coming out in 2021, very s similarly skilled from an athleticism, arm strength standpoint, small schools. What's the difference? Decision-making. Mm -hmm. Jordan Love was throwing the ball the other team left and right that last year at Utah State. Trey Lance was not. That's a big thing. Uh, that is, 
I don't care if you don't have a ton of surrounding talent, you can always control not throwing the ball into the arms of a linebacker that's standing in front of a dig route. And Trey Lance controlled that well. Uh, Jordan Love did not. And so I think it's a big thing projecting the NFL. And then poise. You know, are you are you comfortable? And poise, I think, encapsulates a lot of the uh, sort of technical, like, footwork, how, how consistent you are with your release, consistent you are with mechanics. And, and it's like pocket presence, but, like, poise is just how confident do you play the game of football and – Smooth. I think smooth is part of that as well. Yeah. And, and so those are the biggest things I look for at the quarterback position. And I love the this sort of analogy. I don't even know if this is a fucking analogy. I'm not sure exactly what analogy means. I should, but I'm not exactly sure. But the Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks in the Move the Sticks podcast, they talk about shooters versus scorers at the quarterback position. And, and I, like I said, I love this, uh, how, how that translates to the quarterback position where – a lot of a lot of guys can point and hit an open receiver. Like a lot of guys can do that. Not a lot of guys can and that's those are shooters. A lot of guys can, if they're open for three, can shoot, make it. Not a lot of guys can create on their own, whether it's outside the pocket, throwing guys open, that sort of stuff. You want to look more like you want as many score traits as possible. Having shooters is great. Like the accuracy, having that is great. But I think the kind of the difference is, you know, I don't think there's a big difference physically in what a Baker Mayfield and a Patrick Mahomes can do, arm talent and like where they can put the football. But Patrick Mahomes can score. Baker Mayfield is more of a shooter. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I think some of the things there that stand out to me, and when I was talking to Jed Fish, the the interview we have at the back end of the podcast, two things he said at the quarterback position he looks for. Wait, just, can I just say, do not quote graphic me saying there's not much of a difference between Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. I was thinking about that in the back of my head. Right. It's like, I get what you're saying, though. I get well, what you're you saying. Know what in yeah. terms of like the gap, you yeah. know what I mean? It, like when Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes both have an open guy, I'm not sure that there, there's not going to be a difference in terms of how they can hit him and the consistency with which they hit them. It's the Baker Mayfield being able to get to that open guy or being able to create that open yeah, guy. Yeah, it's being able to score. You yes. know, Pat Mahomes has that scoring, you know, that scoring to his as, game. He scores as well as anyone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when, when Jed Fish talked to me about, you know, quarterback position, two things he looked for, decision-making, and the number two thing, the ability to make all the throws, and I think this this part is key, ability to make all the throws in our offense. And I think you can change that. Obviously, like your offense can have different variety of throws. You look at what the Baltimore Ravens did with Lamar Jackson and remove some of those outside the hashes throws and all that type of stuff because they don't want him making those throws in this offense because he can't. Alabama and Mac Jones. Yeah, exactly. You like, make, make all the throws in our offense. And a lot of the times you need a Brian Dable, a you know a Greg Roman to come in and say, these are the throws that he can make. These are the throws that we can win with mm-hmm. and turn that offense. So I do think this decision-making obviously super important in terms of you know, statistics or advanced statistics and grades that PFF looks at when you're looking for quarterback play at the collegiate level translating to the NFL, the biggest thing is clean pocket metrics. What you do from a clean pocket when you remove some of the variables like pressure and these types of things, out-of-pocket stuff, how efficient are you with the football? I look at yards per attempt. I look at average depth of target, clean pocket passing grade, turnover-winning play rate. And when you're looking at stable metrics, and I think this is an important conversation about stability in analytics. You're trying to find events that are stable with limited variables. It's why baseball has a lot of stable metrics because it's very limited in outcomes. You know, with pressure, when you look at just a, a passing play, there are so many variables. What the play call was, the defense, the offensive line, you know, was the receiver open? Did he drop it? There's these different things. If you can remove some of those variables to try and create a stickier situation, stickier in being stable, like clean pocket, 
that I think helps you. And clean pocket packs and grade for the 2021 quarterback class. This is who the top four were. Zach Wilson in 2020, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and Trevor Lawrence. You know, four, four of the highest, you know, highest, highly regarded quarterback prospects in this upcoming class all ranked inside the top four in clean pocket passing grade this past year. Another, a couple other metrics we'll look at to try and find, you know, some stability, standard dropback grade, avoid rollouts, avoid screens and these different things. No play action grade. Again, removing some of the scheme that allows for variables, allows for open receivers. Those are some of the stuff that's stable, both from college to the NFL, but also year over year at the collegiate level. D- did you throw in, I don't know, I wasn't really listening there, sorry, but. You're a disaster. You're did you throw a- in pressure to sack conversion rate because that's one I, I, that ones. that was I, I do have that here but i did not mention that that one's one of the biggest ones to me that's poise and that is when you're under pressure how often are you taking sacks mm-hmm. that's pressure to sack conversion rate. And, yeah. and i think and that's another one that from college to pro and it's kind of the justin fields stat of he was over 25 percent over one and one quarter of pressure turned in sacks very high rate you'll only see one or two quarterbacks a year over that in the nfl and it's guys like Russell Wilson or uh, Marcus Mariota was always over that. It's not a good, you'd rather not be at that. And you see that in, are there ways to obviously move past? Like Deshaun Watson has a high sack to pressure conversion rate. You know, Russell Wilson has a high sack to pressure conversion rate. It's not an NLB. It's not a death knell, but it is something that is sticky. It is something that is stable. Like you have that tendency to convert pressure into sacks. You're going to see it. I mean, Eric Eager, Dr. Eric Eager here, VP of Research and Development, wrote an entire article about how, you know, quarterbacks, should take more ownership of their pressure rates and their sack rates than offensive lines in some cases. And I think you see that with Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, et cetera. Moving to the running back position, what are you looking for when you're scouting or evaluating running back talent? Burst thing is just burst. Straight up, that is the most important trait for running back. And that's that's why vertical broad jump are more important than just 40 time, in my opinion, at the running back position. Because that is, from a standstill, how much are you moving? Um, that gets you through holes. That, that gets you. <laughs> hey yo, that, that gets you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That gets you running over linebackers. That is the most important trait for a running back. And then from there, elusiveness, elusiveness, contact balance. You call it whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. The ability to take a hit and keep on chugging. Gain uh, yards above expectation is sometimes how I'll phrase it. You know, elusiveness. <laughs> you know, whatever. Break, y- breaking tackle ability, yards after contact, whatever. Maybe it's like you have to, when in a situation to be tackled, avoid those things. Whether that's completely making missed tackles, you know, surviving contact better, all that type of stuff. And those are those are the two biggest ones. And then the third one, because I think if you have those two, like you can be productive. Now receiving and whatever ability is kind of like an ancillary conversation altogether. But then I'd say the third biggest trait for just a pure running back is vision. But the, the kind of the tricky part about vision is that I, I don't think it's the same on every concept does not have the same sort of quote unquote vision. Like a true outside zone run is going to ask you to read things differently than gap. a gap power. Those are your, not necessarily now some guys just can't see a hold to save their lives and it doesn't even matter like a trent richardson and some of those guys um exist and some people have incredible vision are able to run whatever so you can see easily i feel like on either end of the spectrum but a lot of times it's a hairy situation that one's far more difficult to evaluate and that's why you kind of lean on the how explosive is the dude and how much can you break tackles because those two things tend to be good starting points yeah 
I do think that I want to get into that ancillary conversation about, you know, pass catching ability and ability to affect yeah. the passing game. Because a lot of times people bring up the number one thing is you got to be able to be, a, you know, you got to affect the passing game. You got to be this three down back that can survive on third downs. And I, you've had, I've had this conversation a handful of times on this podcast. Mm-hmm. One of the more overrated things is chasing this complete back, this guy that can do all three downs because you're going to, it's going to cost high draft capital. And mm-hmm. oftentimes you're in a better situation when you're investing at the position with, Guys with different skill sets. Like what, you know, I think you have written here in your notes, what kind of back are you going to be? And I think that matters. Like if you're going to be this complete back, one, it's going to be costly from a draft capital perspective, given how the NFL currently views those quote unquote complete backs, the Josh Jacobs, the Mm -hmm. Najee Harris, the Saquon Barkley types. If you're going to be that back, it's going to cost a lot, both on that second contract and in the draft. And two, are we not better off addressing the position and keeping guys fresh with multiple backs with multiple skill sets? Guys that can come in and be these pass catching backs, these receiving backs, while others maybe have better vision, better looseness, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's very important to state this that the farther away you get from the football, you know, spreading out from center to guard to tackle to tight end, the to coaches, quarterback, the fans. To, to running back, yeah, to wide receiver, <laughs> the fans, especially, your role is matters so much more. Offense, what you're asked to do the kind of scheme you're in matters so much more the farther away you get from the wow. football. Your center, like a lot of centers, you just centers, guards, tackles, you're a good center guard tackle. You're, you pass protect, you fucking pass protect any offense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure it's going to matter. So, but if you're, again, to running back, what kind of back you're going to be, if you're in an offense that's just, you know, Pure, you know, if you're in Kyle Shanahan's offense, you can be Raheem Mostert. You could be 195 pounds. If you're in Raheem Mostert, would get eaten alive if he ran the Steelers run scheme. You know, he would not be able to survive in that in those same concepts. And so, that's a very important thing to to keep in mind. And I will say, I I I need this to become. I don't need this to become. I don't need shit. But I, I, this is my. I this is how something. I. <laughs> I need some more smelling salts. I, my. My four levels of receiving back. I love the fourth level, by the way. Can I say that? I'm reading it now. I love the fourth level. Go for it. The, no, no, oh, no. Okay. You read it. I'm, I'm just right. teasing it. Uh, so the top level of receiving back is you're capable of running wide receiver routes. Basically, if you were to play wide receiver, you would not look out of place. That is the Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara level. I would throw in... Parkley? No, no. No. Uh, who, from, who was the guy from this past class that... I always forget all the names of me. Probably Antonio Kenny, Gibson? Kenny Gainwell. Kenny Gainwell? I would throw him into that. You can run wide receiver routes and you're not going to look out of place. That's the top level. It's what you're, if you're, depending on, again, depending on your offense, that's, you can cover that super highly or you can not give a shit about that. Level three is you can run angle routes, wheels, catch footballs, get open on those routes, and that will strike fear in linebackers. To me, that's the Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley level of running back. Good level. That's, Tier two. I, I think that's about where if I were like putting together my ideal offense, I would probably not go any lower than those top two tiers. I would yeah. want a guy that's going to compete in the past. You game. have to be able to do one of those two things. You have to be in one of those tiers to feel yeah. that confident as a starting running back in the NFL. Tier two is you can catch the football. Um, you can use swings and screens. You can get the job done. That is that's Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette can't catch the football. <laughs> he has like some of the highest I, I drop think, rates in the NFL. It's more, I think... I mean, he had like 60 catches that one. That's Mark Ingram. That's, okay, Mark Ingram is a better, better that's decision. That's that guy where it's Mark Derek Ingram's, Henry. Derrick Henry I put in that tier. Like he can catch yeah, the football. Yes, Mark Ingram, those guys are not going to strike fear in a linebacker running, I don't know, any sort of downfield route. I just don't think so. Like that's not what they do. But you get them out in space, they can break a tackle on linebacker. And 
that's the tier two of receiving back. And then here's the last tier. It's the toilet paper hands. <laughs> it's the ball just slips right through. You get a you get a bad wipe and you have a bad day. Uh, Devin Singletary in that tier. Jordan Howard in that tier. It's just like if you're gonna feature them in any passing offense, poof, like you're gonna you, you're gonna you want them to go stay in a block. That's what you want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, you can't. I mean, hands is is you know we talk about you know catching the football at the receiver position it's a it's an expectation you know but at the running back position like you need to get there a little bit you know there's some guys mm-hmm. who can't who literally can't catch the football i remember talking about travis etienne uh, of clemson where he first got to clemson like he was working the jugs machine after practice every day because he was getting made fun of for his hands and i think we've seen some uh some clips in otas where he's dropped some balls but still he's gotten a lot better there and it's i think like you that. need to improve your hands at the running back position you need to be able to catch the football it can't be in that tier four all right i'm gonna get, jump to uh or get to some um, of the metrics here, a lot of it's just elusiveness. You know, force missed tackles per attempt, yards after contact per attempt, force missed tackles per reception, those things that show that you're gaining those yards above expectation, that you're forcing missed tackles, breaking tackles, that matters. And that's a big reason why Devin Singletary is on the Bills and Zach Moss is on the Bills. They invest in that. They see the value in forcing missed tackles. You know, Devin Singletary at FAU like broke records, PFF records for force missed tackles per attempt. You look at this past year, Enforce missed tackles per attempt. Number one, number one back in this class, Javante Williams. Shortly after that, Michael Carter. At fifth, Najee Harris. After that, Khalil Herbert, Travis Etienne. These backs that force missed tackles are oftentimes the backs that are coveted in that upcoming draft or moving into the draft class. Um, other things like that, yards after contact per attempt is very sticky from college year to college year or even college to the NFL. Some other backs there, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, all rank inside the top six. Khalil Herbert as well. It's a big reason why we were higher on Herbert than maybe some others were, the back coming out of Virginia Tech. Um, shall we? get to the wide receiver position yes we shall start, start kick us off my friend. okay well, kick I, us I, off well let's do it yeah I, I do think the biggest single biggest thing you look for route running mm-hmm. and if not route running the traits that make a good route runner and the single biggest trait is suddenness and it, it kind of goes back to kind of running backs where explosiveness suddenness somewhat similar but it is the three cone. It is the can you cut and maintain your speed? If you can't, I don't care. I don't give a shit who you are. I don't think you're going to be a good wide receiver. Like I don't. Think you're just not going to. You better, you better run a four three flat. I don't know. You better have something else. But it is goes back to suddenness at that position, and then suddenness with size is kind of the combo everyone's looking for. And that is, you know. Allen Robinson, that's Devontae Adams, that's Michael Thomas. They don't run four fours. They are sudden as can be. Like they, they will they will they will run a they'll run a force five five in a straight line and then at an angle without losing any sort of speed. And from there, that is kind of that's the starting point. You need that to be a good wide receiver, to be a top flight wide receiver. After that, a lot of different body types I do think win. You don't necessarily have to be six foot two ten. Like there are guys that are on the smaller side for the position. There's you know, Stefan Diggs is what, 191, 182. You can be a little skinnier, still get the job done. You can be a little shorter, still get the job done. But I don't think you can, there's not a lot of, you have to have that suddenness to be a high end route runner. You don't necessarily have to be a higher end route runner coming out, but. The suddenness is getting off the line of scrimmage, getting in and out of your breaks. 
I do think that, and that shows up with the receivers that you really like as well. When you're talking about receivers you really like in upcoming classes, you always bring up suddenness and that ability to separate. I think suddenness is very close to separation ability. When you look at you know statistics that translate are very stable, receiving grade versus single coverage, separation percentage, these things yeah. where you have to show up. When you're when you're going against single coverage or when you're trying to separate from you know from players, you need to be sudden, sudden in and out of your breaks, sudden at the line of scrimmage. That is what creates that separation. That's mm-hmm. what gets receivers open at the next level. You know, people broaden it to route running and route running there's different ways to be a route runner. you don't need to be sudden sometimes to be an elite route runner sometimes you can be very polished or very smooth but still <clears throat> that suddenness can oftentimes be a cheat code you look at some of the highest graded receivers in single coverage this past year Devontae smith Kadarius tony elijah moore diami brown these guys that are considered high profile draft pro- draft prospects you won't see you know you know more sudden receivers probably than elijah moore i mean elijah moore yeah. i mean he was one of the most sudden receivers in this class the only reason you didn't see it a ton against single coverage is because he played in the slot devil's three cone uh, the devil's three cone you love to see that three cone shows up with suddenness that change of direction that, yeah. that movement skills all that stuff yeah I mike mean, thomas has six nine three cone at 210 pounds that's why mike thomas is mike thomas yeah that like that's what it is it, and I think from there, ball skills obviously yeah. are, are then the next biggest thing. Can you track a football? Can you make off uh, frame catches? Mm-hmm. Can you do you have the body control to haul balls in? And that's when you get you know the CeeDee Lambs of the world, the Justin Jeffersons of the world, where it's like those guys. Yeah, they're sudden. Yeah, they get open. But then, oh, when they're not necessarily open, they're still kind of open because those guys are adjusting to passes yeah. and hauling in whatever goes their way. And so. Those are kind of the, that's 1A, 1B, or probably 1 and 2, and then that is a big gap. That, that is what you need. You don't have to necessarily be super big, you, but I do think physicality and how strong you play Catch rate does is. matter. But then I, I think that's also ball skills. It's like mm-hmm. you play more physical when you know where the ball is going and you attack that football, which is, again, that's ball skills. So yeah. those are far and away, in my opinion, the two biggest things that you that – I look for that I covet in a wide receiver. Uh, the rest is kind of icing on the cake if yep. you got the other things. Uh, talk more about kind of why maybe hands don't show up in that conversation. I think you've had the con- you've had discussions about hands and the you know the instability of drop rate and these types of things. I think what, what my comment on it is you know, ball skills. That's where it shows up. Ball skills are obviously catching the football, How? going to get these off-platform catches. Yeah. Also, not all drops are created equal. How you drop the football matters. If yeah. they are focused drops like Amari Cooper, it's different than if they are ball skills level drops like Noah Fant, where you're not approaching the football correctly. Well, and that's why. I think a lot of scouts, you talk about body catcher versus hands catcher. Mm-hmm. Hands catcher is tracking it well and attacking the football. Body catcher is doing it because they they don't have the wherewithal. The confidence to, either. To, yeah, to go get it. And so you kind of fade body catchers because that is indicative of bad ball skills. Even if maybe you're a body catcher and don't have a lot of drops, you're just not going to get yourself in the position then when it is a, like I said, a contested situation exactly. or something like that. It might not even look like a drop. It may just go on as an incompletion, but you didn't track the ball well. I mean, we've watched some receiver tape together, and a lot of times when you're kind of thinking out loud, something you'll point out is like, oh, man, what a hands catch. What a hands catch. When you're when you're sticking your hands out there and you see yes. defenders also sticking their hands out there and you're securing those pat, those are – I don't care if you have Amari Cooper drop rates. If you're doing that consistently – that's going to show up in the NFL. Those ball mm-hmm. skills are going to show up in the NFL. I kind of already spoke to a lot of the metrics that translate. And I think it's it's reminiscent of what you brought up. Suddenness and ball skills show up in separation percentage, um, 
great against single coverage. I think some of the best ball skills in the NFL right now are Justin Jefferson. You look, you look back on his tape and some of these contested catches he's bringing down where he's tracking mm. the ball, catching things back shoulder, you know, separating late at the catch point and stuff like that. That stuff matters, man. You saw that at LSU. You see that in the NFL now. Um, the other stat I was going to bring up, and I don't think we even talked about really this type of receiver, but it's yards after catch per reception, especially yeah. when you control for uh, average depth of reception. Obviously, you know some of the receptions closer to the line of scrimmage, you're going to see more opportunities for yards after the catch compared to mm-hmm. a guy with an average depth of the reception of like 12, 13 yards down the football field. And the number one receiver that comes up for that are two, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel. Those guys were monsters after the catch at the collegiate level. Very high grading profiles after mm-hmm. the catch. And then when they get to the NFL, you saw it. I remember I wrote a piece for The Athletic when we still had that partnership with The Athletic. And A.J. Brown, in that those last two seasons at Ole Miss, gained at least one yard after the catch on the highest percentage of his receptions of any receiver in college football. And it's a lot of that is obviously his physicality, but also just like that ability to turn up field and force missed tackles, like that translates in the NFL. Yeah, so I think that's – then that kind of – gets encapsulated in like suddenness you're su- mm-hmm. you have suddenness and you have size you have that you're gonna break tackles justin jefferson had good yards after the catchability too yeah. like i think his role in minnesota like he's not given as many opportunities yeah. but still like i still think like in the open field like he can make some moves he's he's a yeah. he's a creative um player. if you have suddenness without size it's going to be a little more difficult like chris olave is not broken a lot of tackles calvin ridley is not breaking a lot of tackles but they got suddenness so they Still productive ass and, and they but you create, just got to know yeah. you're not throwing them screens and shit like that. Exactly, and that's why Calvin Ridley's average of the target is so far downfield. Like he's running deep yeah. comebacks and these deep posts and these types of things because you know that's how he creates separation. That's how he wins in the NFL. All right, before we jump to tight end and along the offensive line, got to give an update from our two sponsors here. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Speaking of investments, PFF has partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts, and NFL free agency is still going on. So whoever lands a top-of-the-market player will be sure to see their team's stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a ten dollar deposit at symbol.app slash pff to earn a free annual subscription we're on to the tight end position this one's interesting we have not had a very good tight end class in a while obviously kyle pitts was insane but still from a depth perspective we haven't seen a very good tight end class in a while since what 16 probably uh johnu oj howard is that that year it was 16 17 18 potentially no 17 gotcha all right what are you looking for at the tight end position? So again, a lot of the same stuff that you kind of just went for wide receivers. You kind of reiterate for tight ends in terms of getting open ball skills. But I, I think tight end, as maybe as much as any position in the NFL to me, has my opinion of what to really look for. What matters most has evolved in that like speed. Like I, I used to think, yeah, getting open, that route running ability, it's kind of like same as wide receivers. Like, oh, but I... You need that to be a good tight end. I don't think so. I don't think so in the NFL anymore because you just look at the routes that are getting targeted. In tight yeah. position. You go watch Foster's Robert. Flats. Go look at Robert Tanyan's fifty-two catches from a season ago, and, and there's probably fewer than ten of them are him running an out route, a dig route, like a, a route that requires him to get open. It is him running an over route, cross route, a seam route, a flat route. 
or just like stick screen something that those are not the, the route tree at tight end is not diverse it is how athletic are you how fast are you uh, honestly even more so than that in a lot of offenses in the nfl and so i don't care how how shifty you are as a route runner how talented you are if you run a four eight you're limited you're, you're not going to beat a linebacker across formation at that point you're not open you run a four four I, I don't care if you can't turn if you turn like a mac truck you'll get open on that crosser mm-hmm. and you will quarterback hits you you'll gain yards where that you'll other gain guy, yards after the catch yeah the other guy wouldn't so I think that's the biggest way my kind of evaluation of tight ends have evolved is that just pure speed, even without ball skills, even without the rest, is a weapon and can be useful at that position. But with the sort of caveat of can you block? Can you be treated like a tight end or are people going to treat you like a wide receiver? Can you inline block? Do you have the size? Do you have the want to? And then the technique, I, like, I think a lot of guys at tight end are coordinated off at that point that you can get in the building and just be respected, which is really all necessarily need for a lot of time in the nfl i would agree with you 100 about the speed you know we've we've talked about i think over the past three years that we've been three or four years we've been working together you talk a lot about speed at the tight end position how much how much difference how much that can help you when you're trying to craft these offenses and run those very limited route trees and i think the other thing too and you brought up blocking run block positively graded run blocks and that percentage that you look for that that's one of the more stable metrics at tackle guard and center translate that to tight end and you'll also see a lot of stability there the number one tight end in 2020 uh, in terms of positively graded run block percentage was Tommy Tremble. I don't know if you know who that is, Mike, but uh, tight end of Notre Dame there, 99th percentile this past year. A guy that you know showed up as a blocker. A lot of people yeah. talked about Tremble as a blocker, and I think that athleticism, too, is important. I think, again, I'm going to bring it up just like I did with the receiver position. Yards after the catch, man. Yards after the catch per reception at the tight end position when you are running and not so diverse route tree, when your average depth of target is lower than outside receivers, you need to be able to pick up yards after the catch. That's what Kittle can do, Kelsey, Waller. Those are the three best tight ends in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. Go gain yards after the catch. I think Pitts can do that as well. Like Pitts, in his usage, I don't know how how deep his target depth will be now with Julio Jones gone, but still, if you're targeting near the line of scrimmage, Pitts is going to gain yards after the catch, and that's what matters. That's not necessarily what Hawkinson is. I mean, you haven't seen Evan Ingram have that success in the NFL. Like You need to see guys make plays after the catch. I just found the best stat. About Robert Tanyan. So I said, 52 catches last year. 30 of them came off play action. <laughs> and every single target, he was tar- he only had 30 targets off play, off play action. Caught all 30 of them because they are not. Yeah. Because he's wide open. Because he's yeah. schemed open. Yeah, yeah. They had nothing to do. Like, those, so those are 30 targets that you, me, everyone listening at home would have also caught. Because they're, like, they're not. Mm-hmm. You're not. Not every single okay. one. That was aggressive. Okay. But Maybe still, not. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Though. Like play action when you're running, the, when it's like I'm cheap. Saying. It's cheap. It's schemed yes. open receiving talent. I mean, schemed open I'm receivers, saying, yeah. and that's why you don't need your tight ends to be these elite route runners. You just need them to be fast and then catch the football. Ball I mean, skills also show catch. up yeah. for tight ends as well. All right, um, offensive tackle here. We talk a ton about true pass sets, and that's the first thing you have listed here. That's one of the more stable stats we have here. And pass per- pressure percentage allowed on these true pass sets. Break down for the listeners what true pass sets are and how important they are. Yeah, I mean, so it's basically just isolating when they can go one-on-one with a drop back passing concept because play action a lot of times you know boot action you're not even your front side tackle on boot action you're not even blocking anyone you're selling the like if you're selling the run first and foremost if a guy dicks dips inside of you you don't care you're trying to sell the run like that's the you're trying to get the linebackers out of position you could care less about uh could not care less about the pass rush so 
True pass sets are when you're dropping back, going one, basically the one-on-ones that you see at the senior bowl. That's what you want to isolate. You want to get the, uh, the baseball uh, analogy. You want, you want the isolated incidents. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. And pass sets are a lot of different traits, obviously, going to make a successful tackle in terms of pass protection. Length, I feel similarly about length as arm strength, the quarterback position. It's cut off. Are, are you 33 is where I would put kind of a realistic cutoff. There was one offense tackle, Braden Smith, who actually was guard in college, who was starting last year consistently with sub 33 inch arms. It's not a lot. He's good though. Man. I like to, Braden he's Smith. Good. Yeah, you talked to Paul. Talked to Paul Alexander about arm length, and he just says he hates short arm tackles because. Uh, a long limbs and Alden Smith will win every time. Uh, you you have no recourse a lot of times against the guys who do have that length if they know how to use it well. And so a lot of times you'll just get pooped on the whole game. If you, so, short arm tackles he likes uh, he likes guys that can you know win that like boxing win that first contact battle. And so arm like the sea is cut off. Uh, after that, it is. Feet are, are the biggest feet balance for OT, IOL, whatever. And, and it's not necessarily just, you know, testing metrics. It, it's how well do you actually like move mm-hmm. co- kind of coordination? Like, can you that's balance. play I defense mean, a lot of that's basketball? Balance, yeah. yeah. And, and balance, you can kind of a proxy for balances. How often do you fall? Fall. Yeah. <laughs> how often are you on the ground? You can't block on the ground. It's difficult. Uh, sometimes you can. Uh, but it's become hold on the ground. Now. Yeah. Uh, so balance is that. And then after that, a technique and you know consistency of that, obviously big, that can come in time. But then how well do you use your hands? So balance, how well do you use your hands? Hand placement, proxy for that is how often do you let a defensive lineman into your shoulder pads? And that's something that Paul Alexander said he will track on guys. Mm-hmm. Like how often are they letting – Opposing defense alignment get into the shoulder pads because if they have their hands in your shoulder pads they're controlling the interaction they're controlling what you're doing and if it's vice versa you're controlling what they're doing so uh can you avoid that even if maybe you know a lot of you go to like a small school offense tackle they're not always going to be there you don't expect them to be super consistent with their technique they're got, getting the coaching they're not getting the refinement to that say a guy like Liam Eikenberg at Notre Dame would, where they have you know some of the best offensive line coach in the country, or Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the same, but you could still they, they still know what they're trying to do, and so they're not trying to let a defender in their pads. And are they getting the job done? They probably use the hands well. I mean, you spoke to a lot of statistics that are stable. I mean, pass grade on true pass sets. You look at this past year: number one, Elijah Vera Tucker; number two, Liam Eikenberg; number four, Sam Cosme. Shortly down the list, Stone Forsyth. I think another thing too is that positively graded run blocking percentage. If you are going to look at run blocking, how often are you positively affecting that, winning those run blocks? Brady Christensen one, Christian Darrisaw two, Darian Kennard, who we're going to talk about in the 2022 NFL draft. There at four, uh, Alex Leatherwood. Shortly down the list, like these. These are the statistics that translate to the next level. I think we've talked a ton about our trench grading, defensive line and offensive line, because we're given so many opportunities to grade wins and losses, that binary yes, no, win, loss. You see a lot of stable metrics there, especially when you you know siphon it down to true pass sets and those types of things. I do think that 
I have a lot of confidence in PFFs pressure percentage allowed, pass blocking grade allowed, or pass blocking grade on those true pass sets to see that translate in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And while, so so some of the times we'll have conversations about like, man, he's grading really well and his pass sets still aren't good and his hand usage can get better. That's like similar to where on the pass rushing side, you see high pass rush grades like Adam Anderson, he's still got a lot of room to grow. That's going to be, you know, obviously players that PFF are going to be higher on. Yeah, and so then from there, so I said balance one, probably hands two, explosiveness power is kind of that third you don't have to be you know Mackay Becton to be a top tier off the tackle like David Bakhtiari looks like he's a different playing a different, playing game. different game altogether <laughs> but he's exceptional because he has balance feet. feet agility and hands for days now the explosiveness it just kind of takes you to that next level when you are Tristan Wirfs, when you don't fear the bull rush. Those are that really gets when you, you can there. Anchor and, and sit like that too. Like I think yeah. weight matters. I think being big can help. I mean, and, not, and not, I think matters is an interesting way of phrasing it. But I do think like you talk about like icing on the cake and stuff like that. Like having the appropriate weight, having yeah. the arm length, having the explosiveness. Like, these are things that like make it easier to be great. Yeah, but but I don't think you get away and you become a good tackle without the first things I said. Without, without the feet. That feet slash balance and hands. Very true. Those are just like you need that, and then after that, explosives can take you to that next level. And I will say, kind of the difference between interior offensive line, offensive tackle. Obviously, length not as big a deal. I don't think pure quicks nearly as big a deal at interior offensive line. Um, I don't even think like explosiveness is as big a deal. Like upper body strength's more important there. Hands more important there, and then obviously. I'd say hands and balance the most important there. You're so much more, um, you're playing through a lot more trash in the interior. Mm -hmm. You're like, you're getting bumped, you're passing off stunts, you're getting uh, tripped over by the guy behind you. Can you stay on your feet? I think that's far more important on the interior. Something you look for far more than just actual foot speed is not going to win you as many battles as the actual balance aspect there. I think that's a. I think that's a really good point. And we can, you know, any anything else you want to touch on in interior? That's the last position we have here. I know you bring up balance, but anything else that stand out as opposed, like differences between obviously off the tackle and on the interior. Balance being super important. I remember you talked that a ton about Jonah Jackson. Like, oh man, this guy has a ton of balance. He's never fallen over. He's always stable. He's, yeah, he's always, you know, he's always got it done. He's always staying on his feet and those types of things. But what else do you look for along the interior offensive line? Because a lot of the stable metrics are the same. Positive graded run block percentage. Pass, yeah, you know, yeah. passing grade on true pass, pass blocking grade on true pass sets. What other things or traits are you looking for on interior? Like I said, ba- uh, arm length, not as big a deal, but it's still nice. Um, Always is. Yeah. Uh, was it? And then, <laughs> like explosiveness, not nearly as important as just strength. Like you, you, you don't need to be able to fire out of your stance and necessarily climb to the second level the fastest, but you do have to be able to anchor against DTs because you're going to face far more bull rushes. So you'll see weights of guards and centers going to be on the higher, or at least guards, um, higher than even tackles. Like that's a 330, 340 guard. Is, that's, you know, that's where you're looking for at the guard position. That's going to do it, man. Things to scout, things to evaluate for all offensive positions. Going to do defensive positions next week. This has been fun, man. I think it's interesting to kind of open up about the process and, and look at it. I think another thing we talked about too, maybe down the road or um, on a mailbag or something, is a lot of people ask me about, you know, what's exactly your process for watching film, you know, by position? How, how do you approach it? When do you do it? That type of stuff. I, I went to a long-winded answer on like by month what you're looking at and that type of stuff, but still, what? A lot of it. Like in terms of like, when are you watching By NFL? his uh, sign? <laughs> is he a Libra? 
Is is that it, no, that's true. About? I think I do. I do think I watch them in order of horoscope, Moon which I think helps me a lot. It helps me a lot because then you can like, okay, this guy's not grading super well, but he is. But but Mars is in retrograde. So yeah, true, very true. All right. Well, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump now to the interview with University of Arizona head coach Jed Fish. Now joining the Two for One Drafts podcast is current Arizona coach Jed Fish. Really appreciate you jumping on the show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Where I'd like to start, and I think you see this in a lot of the interviews that you've had so far, a lot of people say you're this former coach or current former coach Frankenstein and the coaches that you've worked with. Obviously started as a GA with Steve Spurrier there at Florida and then have worked under Harbaugh, Belichick, McVay. Can we start with Spurrier and just the relationship you have with him and the impact he's had on you as a coach and as a person, I'm sure has been massive. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's the guy that got me into this profession. He's the guy that um, I've always looked up to in this profession. I've, uh, I was just with him this past weekend, actually, at a golf tournament in Pebble Beach. And nice. to, just to be able to spend any time with him at all, the first thing I said to my wife is, you need to call Miss Jerry, and you need to uh, find out from Jerry how to be the best coach's wife in the world, because she is that. And uh, my wife has done a great job of being that as well. And I've just always, everything about Coach Spurrier, the way he runs his program, the way he calls offensive plays, the way he talks with his players, the energy that he bring to, brought every day at practice. I mean, all of it was just so, so good to be around that um, he's meant the world to me in this profession and nothing's changed. You've bounced around in the NFL a ton, have a ton of NFL coaching experience, worked under a lot of big names. And I know it'd be tough to bring in any one philosophy or any one principle that you've got from that experience. But what are some of the themes through the places that you've been with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Rams, working under Belichick, McVay, a lot of really good coaches, a lot of really good players. What are some of the themes from your NFL experience that you want to take to Arizona? Well, the central theme of our program is competition. And when you're around any of those great coaches, whether that be Coach Carroll, Coach Belichick, Coach McVay, Coach Billick, Coach Shanahan, really doesn't matter which one of the ones you want to name that have all won championships at different levels. Uh, they've all, they are all the greatest competitors. They're all guys that go into every fight and you want them on your team. There's guys that go into every game and you want them competing and battling with you. Uh, those guys are just tremendous competitors, whether you're playing basketball with Coach Carroll or golf with Coach Spurrier or golf with Coach Belichick or just literally just sitting around a room. There's just this, this uh, personality and this ability to compete that is so good. And, and uh, we try to really talk about that, harp on that, and discuss that in our program all the time. I know there's a quarterback competition going at going down at the University of Arizona right now. I would love to get an update on that. But before we do, another quarterback that you worked closely with this past year, Cam Newton of the New England Patriots, now returning as the New England Patriots starter. They did draft Mac Jones, but Cam Newton slated there to start. Battled a ton of injuries, battled COVID-19, learned the playbook that is a very complex playbook. Obviously did not have the season maybe some expected from Newton in 2020. What are your expectations entering year two, having worked so closely with him in 2020? Yeah, I mean, I expect that um... – Anybody that plays with the Patriots are going to be at the very highest level. The coaching staff over there is tremendous. The system has is tried and true. Uh, and anybody that has the opportunity to work there, play there, or be a part of that uh, special program recognizes and understands that uh, it's very hard not to have success there. And uh, I expect all of them to have it. And I wish them all uh, the best, and I'm very good friends with many of them. 
So I know right now it's it's a competition between Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer there at the University of Arizona. You also had a transfer from USF, Jordan McLeod, all competing. Like you said, competition being so important at the University of Arizona for that starting quarterback spot. You just recently finished, I think, a spring game a couple weeks back. And something that you've said in a handful of interviews, the two most important things at the quarterback position, decision-making and the ability to make all the throws. Of the three quarterbacks so far, who do you think has shown that the most? And who do you think is in the best position to potentially take that number one spot week one? Well, Austin, you know, Jordan just got here two days ago, so I haven't had the chance to be on the field with him and see what type of decision maker he is in our system. I certainly have had the opportunity to see what he does in uh, at USF, and he is the most starting experience, and, uh, most playing experience, game experience. He ended his final game at USF throwing five touchdown passes and over 400 yards. So I know that he knows how to make good decisions with the football. I know how he moves the football. Uh, Gunner and Will went out and head-to-head every single day. They battled it out. Uh, one day, one guy got the starting reps. The next day, the next guy did. They rotated periods. They rotated plays. Um, really just about everything. We put them in as hard of a situation as you could put a group of guys or two guys in. Uh, one guy made a mistake. Next guy was in. One guy made a mistake. Next guy wasn't in. They kind of never knew what was happening. They didn't know exactly what our rhyme or reasoning or plan was when it comes to that competition. But for us, we wanted to make sure that they were able to handle all the adversity that comes away as a quarterback. And I really am excited about having three guys roll the ball out on August 5th or August 6th and let those guys just compete their tails off, man. And we're going to have long practices that are going to have two different groups going at a time because we need to see as much as we can see when it comes to um, who's going to be our starting quarterback against BYU and then who's going to remain our starting quarterback all season long. Should be an exciting watch as all those guys duke it out. I know what you've done also in that spring game. You had Teddy Bruschi, Rob Gronkowski, I think, jump from a helicopter down to the field. You're doing a lot with alumni from the University of Arizona, trying to have that culture, that positive change at this program. Speak more to you know what you're trying to do, that type of culture, that type of energy you're trying to bring to the University of Arizona in your first year there as the head coach. Yeah, well, I mean, every part of building a college program is about recognizing what's come before you. And your alma, I mean, your alma mater, everyone's alma mater is so pride. We're so prideful of where we went to college. And we're so prideful of what the university stood for that we went to. So when you have a chance to go coach at somebody else's university, like what I'm doing now, is that I've got to do an incredible job of recognizing the people that have come before us and then honoring them. Now, we're fortunate that we have guys like Rob Gronkowski and Teddy Bruschi, two of the best that's ever done it, um, be able to be a part of our spring game. We also have the opportunity to have Ricky Hunley and Chuck Cecil on our coaching staff, uh, two guys that are in the College Football Hall of Fame, two guys that are uh, on the the wall of honor or the, you know, the ring of honor here at the University of Arizona, and they're coaching our defensive line and they're coaching our uh, safeties and to be able to have guys like that around our players and be surrounding with some of the great desert swarm stories and before and some of the things that Larry Smith and Dick Tomey did uh, it's a great privilege and a great honor to recognize them and be able to host an alumni weekend of over 250 alumni that weekend Something that I love that you've spoke to kind of all throughout this first offseason with the University of Arizona when people ask you about your goals is we want to be the toughest on everybody's schedule. We want to be the toughest team on every single person's schedule, the hardest out. And I think that's obviously easier said than done. What 
what changes in practice, what changes in meetings, what changes in film study to be a tough out, to be a hard out, despite, you know, obviously expectations being different there at the University of Arizona. How do you become that tough competition um, and game in, game out? Yeah, Austin, I would say this. We have got to be mentally and physically tough uh, in practice, in meetings, uh, in, in every decision we make. If we're going to be what we want to be and that hard out, that that number on your schedule where nobody wants to come to or no one wants to play, uh, it's going to come down to are we, are we willing to do um, – what's maybe not the easiest because it's the best. Are we willing to sacrifice, um, let's call it, uh, maybe going out one night, or are we willing to sacrifice playing video games for more video, for more film, more meeting time, more runs or sprints early in the morning when nobody's watching? You know, we tell our guys, you know, it's what you do when no one's watching, which is really what defines your character. So our whole goal is to be able to consider, con continuously attack every day continuously make one day better than that and we grade them every single day and we let them know did we win or did we lose that day and if we could kind of build that culture of toughness and build that culture of competitiveness then i believe we could get to that spot where no one wants to play us and that's our goal going to shift a little bit more looking towards the 2021 season i want to talk about offensively specifically from a, a schematic standpoint what are your expectations for this offense you've obviously had stints as an offense coordinator in the nfl you also have brandon carroll on staff what schematic elements do you want to bring to this arizona offense that maybe have differed from the past i know that might change with the quarterback and who wins that job but what are some of the principles you're bringing offensively with brandon carroll and yourself well you know unfortunately we have a really good coaching staff uh, with Jimmy Doherty, who uh, was a pass game coordinator, came from UCLA. Uh, Brandon, who came from Seattle. I've coached with both of them at numerous spots. Uh, been fortunate enough to call plays for 10 years in college and pro football. And my goal is um, for us collectively to put together the best possible system that will enable us to be able to um, give an illusion of complexity, but keep it simple. And we want to make sure that we're able to be in different formation groups. We want to be able to be in different personnel. We want to be able to uh, use motion and shifts to our advantage and then be able to play like um, teams play on Sundays. Uh, I've been at, I've worked for Mike Shanahan. I've worked for Sean McVay. I'm very close with Kyle Shanahan who runs Mike's system. And if you look at the offense that I'm most familiar with, it's the offense that's being run right now with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati with uh, Zach Wilson at the Jets, with Garoppolo at the Niners, with now Matthew Stafford um, at the Rams. And um, you start with Aaron Rodgers at the Packers. And, you know, that's that's where we all came from. We all mm -hmm. came from the same coaching tree. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to be successful um, like those guys were. A few more players I want to bring up before I let you go. Really appreciate the time. I want to talk a little bit about Michael Wiley. Only a little over 300 rushing yards in his Arizona career, a former three-star back out of Houston, a guy that has graded really well in PFF system, forced a ton of missed tackles. What are your expectations for him specifically entering this uh, this upcoming season? I'm hoping that he's able to continue to force a ton of missed tackles and continue to build off of uh, some of the successes he's had as a runner. He hasn't carried the ball too much. Uh, we have a pretty good running back room. I think we've got some guys, Jalen John and Steven Rocker and Sean Butler, that are all going to compete with Michael. Uh, we've got really a pretty good group there, five or six guys in the running back room that, again, we're in the middle of a competition, and 
not one person has really said that they're the starting court running back. We brought Drake Anderson in from Northwestern, who is the leading rusher at Northwestern. So to be able to get Drake with Michael, with Stevie, who's a true freshman, with Jalen, I mean, we got a pretty good group right there that's really able to compete. And um, let's see what these guys can do when they start toting the rock 25, 30 times a game competition at every single position last one here for you coach Jamari H. Warner a guy who was a former quarterback turned receiver had over 550 yards I think as a true freshman I think in 2019 are you expecting Jordan to come back here in 2021 and have a significant role in this offense with the rest of these guys yeah uh Jamari got a little banged up at the spring game so we'll see how his you know he gets to rehab this whole summer uh we've got an, an amazing group uh in my mind our wide receiver group uh, it's very well-rounded, very competitive. Uh, we've got guys like Stanley Berryhill who came back, talking about transfer, wound up not transferring. B.J. Castile, same thing. Um, we've got the ability to get uh, Jalen Johnson with us. Jamari, to be able to get Jamari going when we expect to get him going. Tavion Cunningham, who ran track for the University of Arizona. Uh, so you've got five, six, seven guys that I believe can go out there and we got to figure out who are the three that are going to play every down, but these guys are all battling it out and, you know, they're going to have to see in the weight room and see where they all work, work themselves out of these player run practices to be able to get out there and training camp and make a big difference. Absolutely. Really appreciate the time coach. Best of luck this upcoming season. Yeah. Thanks Austin. Take care, buddy. The fish. Man, he's got some tough sledding ahead. I mean, we talked a lot about you know the current talent on the Arizona coaching staff, our Arizona football team. But when the conversation starts with a three-person quarterback competition, it's going to be difficult to compete in the Pac-12. Like he is, the biggest thing for him is getting tougher, recruiting better, bringing talent to Arizona, leveraging some of the alumni like he is with Ted, Teddy Bruschi and Rob Gronkowski being involved in the spring game and that type of stuff. Like he has to change wholesale the culture at Arizona how they recruit at Arizona and try and bring some talent to Tucson because this is a team that is right now devoid of talent as as kind of evidenced by you know how much competition so he brings up so much on that interview about competition and this is what we preach we preach at Arizona competition well he's got competition at every position you know running back still unclear quarterback still unclear who's gonna be the top receiver still unclear like he is working through so much of this right now because again that that team has not had like high-end contributing talent for quite some time and I think the culture he's bringing and his approach to recruiting and the energy he's had, obviously the experience he's had in the NFL, should translate to you know better talent there at Arizona, but it's going to take some time. What's the saying? So if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. If you have three quarterbacks, you how, have many half. Do, how many do you have? I don't know how I was many going you have. Negative. I think you have negative. Honestly. You have I? Yeah, so they obviously have, they have Gunnar Cruz there, Will Plummer, who are currently rooming together and competing for the starting quarterback job at University of Arizona. And then they have that transfer, Jordan McLeod, come from University of South Florida, uh, to come and compete as well. He's been there for only a couple days, but still, uh, it'll be interesting. University of Arizona will be interesting this upcoming year. He's got the road ahead of him. It's going to be tough, but I'm excited to see how Jed Fish plays out in Arizona. Until next time, that's going to do it. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment. Leave a five-star review. We'd love to see that. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We will be back next week, Wednesday. We're dropping these every night on Wednesday, and then we'll get to the two episodes per week with the rebrand come July 19th. Super excited for that. Producer Quinn, producer Dave, producer Max, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one draft.